This is the Education Gadfly Show. Legal advice from Michael Petrilli. Yes! Not everybody knows this is how it works. <laughs> he's not a lawyer, but he's staying the holiday in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at, at excellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming our special guest for this week, the Bryce Harper of Education Reform, Chad Alderman. Thanks, Mike. Got to be here. Uh, yeah. And, and the Bryce Harper, I mean, that, that's, that, those are big words here. I mean, he's pretty amazing. I'll take that as a nice compliment. He's okay. young, he's talented, he's up and coming, you know? Exactly. All of the above. Yes. And, uh, huge prospects yet to come. That's right. There that's right. it is. Uh, uh, Chad is also a principal, not that kind of principal, but the, uh, I don't know, other kind of principal at Bellwether Education Partners and co-author of their recently published independent review of SS State Plans, which we're going to talk about. Also joining us straight from Portland, Maine, Alyssa Schwank. Hey, Mike. How's it going? I'm well. How are you? Good. How was your fourth? Uh, my fourth was was good. Pool party at the local pool. My uh, my parents were in town this weekend, so that was fun. Getting to enjoy the grandkids. And I was telling uh, Chad earlier, one of the coolest things we did over the weekend, we went on a tour of the Naval Academy. Annapolis. Annapolis. This is my uh, college savings plan for my nine-year-old, <laughs> is to get him excited about uh, going to the Naval Academy. Acceptance rate is under? Very, okay. very low. Very Maybe low. Maybe put uh, some money in a 529. But, you know, I think he's good. We heard about the SAT scores you need, the grades you need, you got to be a good athlete. Main thing is you also you got to get your your senator or congressman to mm. appoint you. So I'm starting to work on that too. Mm. Uh, you yeah. got to predict the senator who it's going to be in yeah. whenever your child is ready for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one of his buddies, uh, friend, one of his buddies' dads is a state rep right now. Uh, look like he's going to run for Congress soon. So I, I don't know. I think I might need to be talking to, to him. <laughs> uh, and he's a very very impressive guy. So yeah. Grooming this your sponsorship. Is, is, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's kind of like those parents in D.C. that try to get on the board of a charter school so they can get their own kid into a charter school. Yeah, Not that that ever happens, does it? That, we don't have senators or Congress people, though, so. Oh, but mm-hmm. I was also at the 4th of July parade in the Palisades where that guy, what's his name, Strauss, the uh, senator, uh, the shadow senator, was was marching. And I had this conversation with my kids who were like, wait, do they have a senator? And I said, no, they don't have a senator, but it says senator. And so he's lying. And I said, well, yeah, basically. <laughs> that is correct. He is basically lying about being a senator. Anyway. This is what happens in this in this district with no voting rights. It's a mess. But we also had then that discussion decided that Puerto Rico really should come first. Much bigger. I mean, about the size of, of a medium-sized state. So you guys, you guys in D.C. are kind this, of lower on the totem pole. This could be an entire podcast in and of itself, <laughs> the D.C. versus Puerto Rico debate. Yeah, all right. Yeah, that one's an easy one. Uh, you know, Puerto Rico, see. Okay, uh, but that's not what we're talking about. We are talking about education, even though we are in the summer doldrums, Chad. I mean, it is now post-4th of July. I mean, people have disappeared. But that's why it's so great that you guys got your study out, uh, you know, before the 4th. We can talk about that in Instead, so let's do Ed Reform Update. All right. In this summer of discontent here in the United States, Chad, uh, one of the big things happening on the education front, the states are uh, are uh, submitting their plans for implementing the Every Student Succeeds Act. You guys at Bellwether, in collaboration with the Collaborative for Student Success, came out with a review of the first 17 state ESSA plans. What'd you find out? 
We found out that there's a lot of strengths and pros on how states are thinking about uh, expanding the scope of accountability systems. So beyond the proficiency rates that yeah. we looked at under NCLB and grad rates, um, states are doing a lot on indicators. So we saw um, new indicators of science that the states are going to be including in their accountability systems new subjects like PE and arts. Um, mm-hmm. Several states are thinking of new ways. We were also encouraged, I know you'll like this one, that all 17 states had some measure of student level growth. Yep, It's not required, but all 17 in this first round did include something. Um, so that was a big strength, was on how states are thinking through the indicators that they're going to use to hold schools accountable. All right, what didn't you like? Some of the weaknesses, I would say, are on a couple categories. One was on how states will incorporate student subgroups into their account system. Yeah. Every state had some sort of promise, a back-end check, as ESSA requires, of a business rule to capture a certain number of uh, schools with low-performing subgroups or with large achievement gaps. Mm-hmm. But uh, only two states actually gave any data or indication about how many schools that those rules would capture. Um, and so there's just a lot of uncertainty, a lot yeah. of lack of clarity on that portion. All right. Fair enough. Now, look, you know, some people, let's say our friend Rick Hess, have been writing about how these plans are all basically BS. You know, I mean, it's that it's just a whole lot of, you know, blah, 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 meaningless blather. And then you guys come along and you grade the blather. Uh, And what what would you say to that? Is he right? Does he have a point that a lot of this is just pretty words on paper and not going to amount to much? I think there's a lot of words on paper. So you don't, we didn't even analyze the whole thing. So we looked at, focused in on the accountability section of each plan. Yeah. And we do think that that does matter. The, the research base on accountability systems says that how they're designed and the various decisions people make around accountability systems mm-hmm. do matter and do affect people's behavior. And so that's what we were looking for is how um, states are crafting those decisions. All right. But let me push on that a little bit. Now, you looked at, for example, the long-term goals that states had to set. This is one of my least favorite parts of this plan because it reminds Mm -hmm. me so much of the 100% proficiency by 2014 mistake that we made back in the No Child of Behind days and just the pressure that states have to set something utopian like that again, you know, or uh, the pressure they feel to say that, well, Every subgroup is going to be achieving magically at the same level within five years or 10 years. Mm -hmm. And so mostly I've just chosen to ignore this part of the law (laughs) because I think it's kind of stupid and doesn't matter really. I mean, again, it's just a goal. Uh, But what's your take? I mean, does that stuff, why, why, why even look at that? Why even pretend that those goals matter? Uh, so this is a frustrating thing for me personally. I feel like the goals matter in terms of setting a vision for the state. They don't matter in fundamentally ways for schools. Most states are completely ignoring the goals section in their school accountability section. Good. As um, well they should, Chad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, can, we can debate about whether they should completely ignore them or how yeah, there's yeah. smart ways to use them. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a frustrating conversation for me too. And, and lots of states are sort of throwing darts at the wall of... Here's what our proficiency goal is in, in 14 years. It feels because, very because look, because they can't be honest, which would be to say, look, if everything goes right, we will see incremental progress for kids and we will slowly see some slight narrowing of the achievement gap. I, I mean, that that is the best case scenario. And if you're a policymaker, you just can't come right out and admit that. I mean, I do think that there is value in, you know, making sure that there is kind of a clear, big, bold vision that people look at as this is what we're all working towards. I know in New Mexico's plan, which Chad and co really liked, like there's route to 66 or route to 66. I can't pronounce words. Um, 
but like setting something that can galvanize people, I think is important. I don't think necessarily yeah. will everything be achieved. No, but I don't see many states setting these hundred percent proficiency well, goal statements some right now. Pretty utopian goals in there, I would argue. And and there's been some surprise, namely mm-hmm. that the Department of Ed has questioned Delaware's uh, goals, whether they were ambitious enough. Seems like maybe they have walked that back a bit now, saying, well, they just the state needs to explain where you know where these goals came from, provide some data based uh, explanations that 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 might walk it back. Uh, but we're seeing other other things from the department as well. Uh, for example, saying that science can't be a part of the academic achievement indicator in the same way math and reading are. I, I think they're probably right on the law on that one. Is that right, Chad? Uh, my reading of the law is that way. And I think that the department's sort of public communication about being taking the literal text of the law as the gold standard, I think yeah. is going to put them in some policy decisions like this. Likewise, you know, now a, a new debate with there's a, another handful of states that have uh, just last Friday, they came out with some feedback on uh, in Connecticut's case, uh, Connecticut wanted to use scale scores to measure academic achievement. And the department said, ah, what's your take on that? I mean, the law says proficiency, and that's uh, what the law said. Uh, we'll what see. What does proficiency mean? Chad? Well, define the law defines proficiency, so yeah. it's it's in there uh, about what it means. And so the the reg that went away had some more flexibilities for states and allowed them to use either achievement indices or uh, scale scores that didn't uh, give didn't allow uh, higher performing students to completely compensate for lower performing students. But this is what's interesting. So the the department is allowing performance indices, even though, Mm -hmm. you know, a strict reading of the law may not allow that. I'm not complaining, but they're not allowing scale scores. I don't know. It, it, uh, again, this is a a tricky place for them to be. Mm -hmm. I, I had a chance to, to, to see Jason a few days ago, and I tried to implore him to, to stop asking the lawyers to give, to, you don't ask the lawyers the question, hey, what do you think the law means? You tell the lawyers, here's the policy we'd like to have. Can you find a legal justification for it? Legal uh, advice from Michael Petrilli. Yes. Come on. Everybody knows this is how it works. <laughs> He's not a lawyer, but he stayed a holiday in last Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Hey, you know, I, I've often said that I deserve a graduate degree for working at Tucker Finn all this time, but uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm not that sure that graduate degree was in law, yeah, but yeah, I would give you that one having worked for a check or two. Yes. Well, you work in the Department of Ed long enough. You do deserve <laughs> some kind of legal uh, advice, but you learn, you learn that, you know, lawyers, those smart lawyers at the Department of Education, they can justify a lot of things. And if you can justify our performance index with the word proficiency, I think you could justify scale scores. Uh, but again, Chad, uh, somebody listening to this would, would might hear us all saying, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, it sounds so wonky. Wah, 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 wah. But the point is, we do think that schools respond to these accountability systems and the signals that they send, right? That if, if the signal is, hey, the best way to get an A on the school report card is to pay attention to the kids who are just above or below the proficiency line, that can have a big impact on the kids who get attention and the kids who don't. Uh, yes. I mean, I, th- I still think that proficiency matters at some level. Like it is the state's determination of what success looks like for an individual student about what they need to know. And so um, on that level, I think it is important to have some emphasis on proficiency in an accountability system. Now, I think NCLB went too far in that direction and states are sort of walking that back and figuring out what the right next level is. Mm-hmm. But generally, our peers were looking for some balance between proficiency and uh, achievement across the spectrum as well as growth over time. Yeah. All right, last last question. You, you guys are kind of the, the faux peer reviewers are the self-appointed peer reviewers. There are real peer reviewers that the Department of Ed is using. I, I mean, have the comments been, been similar? Have you had a chance to look? I mean, are, are you guys kind of in the same ballpark here? 
Um, yeah, I think there's a, a Venn diagram. Though there's quite a bit of overlap yeah. of the peers, our peers, and the U.S. Department of Ed. Um, where there are some lack of overlappers on these things that ESSA dictates, but uh, maybe isn't necessarily great policy. And on the opposite end, there are places where ESSA is very firm, states are following, but might not be great policy either. Gotcha. Interesting. All right. Thank you, Chad Alleman, Bellwether Education Partners. Again, the Bryce Harper of Bellwether. <laughs> Chad Alleman, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. Now it's time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. Welcome back to the show, Amber. Thanks, Mike. Did you have a nice fourth? I did. I was just telling you that I went to see a naturalization ceremony. Uh, so I got to see 100 new citizens take their vows of citizenship, and it was just really emotional. Yeah. 40 different countries represented, um, and they just were just, just so happy. They had their little flags waving after they said their vows, and the whole crowd was going crazy. Just It just felt like the most patriotic thing to do on July 4th. Yeah, so really awesome. enjoyed it. That's great, Amber. Super cool. Yeah. Super cool. Another great Wait, reason I love living in Richmond uh, yeah. and coming into DC to work, but living there. So Richmond's sorry. a great city. <laughs> you should work for like the, the Richmond, uh, you know, tourist association. Chamber, I know you guys chamber. Yeah, sick of me hearing me Live say this. In don't you? I remember a few years ago they had these posters up all over the place in the metro about living in Baltimore that, ah. that the city of Baltimore was promoting. You know, live in Baltimore so much cheaper. You could be, you know, instead right. of being uh, house rich and cash poor, poor you could that's be. Right. And maybe Richmond should be doing this as well. Of course, then you'd have a bunch of D.C. people moving down. (laughs) We don't want that. Yes. It's good shopping and good food. I will give Richmond that. All right, Amber. What you got for us? All right. We got a new IES report called Early Millennials, the sophomore class of 2002, a decade later. It tracks a cohort of over 13,000 students who were high school sophomores in 2002 into adulthood. They use what's called the Education Longitudinal Study of 2002, um, ELS, as mm-hmm. folks call it. Um, so over 10 years, this cohort was surveyed three times in 2004, 6, and 12 about various lifestyle, lifestyle, life milestones, such as finishing school, starting a job, leaving home, getting married, having children, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So most respondents are around 26 years old at the time of the last survey administration. Okay. Uh, so then they give you some context around sort of this cohort. They were just entering high school during the dot-com bubble, you know, dot-com mm-hmm. bubble thingy that happened mm-hmm. in the late 90s. Uh, they were sophomores during the 9-11 terrorist attacks, and they were in their early 20s when the Great Recession mm-hmm. hit in 2007 and 8. So just a little context. Alyssa, you, you are acting like this is all familiar <laughs> to you. For some, some, of, some of these things sound some a little familiar, familiar, yes. They also Did you saw... take this survey? <laughs> I was too young, too. Oh, my God. Wow. Uh, They saw the cost of college increase exponentially as well. All right. Yes. Just, like, this report is awesome. But there are so many things I could have written. Like, I have way too many bullets, so I'm just going to have to, you guys yeah. can just stop right. me. But I'll give you a few. 96% completed high school, either through earning a diploma or through a GED wow. or equivalency. Six. That's what they said. It is basically universal. Universal. Mm -hmm. Okay. 84% enrolled in post-secondary education. Enrolled. Okay. 84% enrolled. Just one half had earned a post-secondary degree or certificate by 2012. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, One third had earned a bachelor's degree or higher. Mm -hmm. So now these numbers start going down, right? Um, Of the roughly one third who began at a two-year college, 
47% about half earned a credential, mm-hmm. okay? Of those, about 30% it was an associate's degree. Mm-hmm. Um, 17% moved on to a bachelor's or advanced mm-hmm. degree. Uh, those who started out at a four-year college fared better. Yeah. 72% of them earned a post-secondary credential, most of which were bachelor's or advanced degrees. Mm-hmm. 15% left without any credential at all. Mm-hmm. 82% were employed. That's pretty good. good. Mm-hmm. 11% looking, 7% out of the workforce. Don't know what happened there well, with those 26-year-olds. Prison uh, or children. home with the kids yeah. or, or home playing well, video we're, games. We're getting there. Okay. Uh, 35% of bachelor's degree recipients say they are working jobs that require a lesser degree. So like a, they could just be working there with an associate's, which is a type of underemployment. Uh, what do you think percentage of married? <laughs> so they, By age 26? By age 26. <sighs> 45. 20%. Really? Whoa. 20%. 28. Okay. Very, well, you're hey. very optimistic <laughs> on that. Um, one third had become parents mm-hmm. as of 2012. Right. Uh, childbearing rates related to educational attainment. 70% of those without a high school. This, this was crazy. 70% of those without a high school credential and 53% of those who had only a high school education had children. Mm-hmm. 70% of those without a high school credential? Mm-hmm. That is so high. It's hugely high. 53%, yeah. again, with just the high school education. Mm-hmm. All right, what percentage are living with their parents? Some of this stuff is just kind of fun. <laughs> uh, okay, it's 2012. They're 26 years old. I don't know, one and two, one and three. What do you think, Mike? One and three. 23%. Okay. Hey. Live with their parents. More common among males. Yep. 23% are cohabiting with a partner, yeah. which is up from 1%, by the way, from a 1988 eighth grade cohort, just mm-hmm. to give you some idea of how it's pre- more prevalent. 6% served in the military. Um, and then we start getting into some of the subgroup stuff. Basically, it's a little factoid here. Employed, those who took calculus in high school earned higher hourly wages than their counterparts. That makes eh, sense. That makes sense. GPA, if you had a GPA of 3.5 or higher, you earned higher wages than if you had a GPA of below 3.0 after they controlled for a bunch of stuff. All right, almost finished. How many of you think took out loans to pay for their post-secondary education? Oh, God. Everybody. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that was lower than I thought, 60%. Um, how much do you think they borrowed on average? How much these kids owe? 10,000. 20,000. 30,000. 30,000. Lots of money. Um, and then you'll be interested in this, Mike. About 40% of the cohort who grew up in a low SES family, lower socioeconomic class. Mm-hmm. So they were still in the lowest quarter in 2012. Mm-hmm. They didn't move. 60% had moved up at least in the middle half or the highest quarter by age 26. Okay. It's a little better than I would have thought. Yeah. Right. And then the last one, um, how many are on public assistance? Their spouse, their partner, or their children have received some form of public assistance. Mm-hmm. 20%. 20%. Alyssa, you got one right. Nice. Ha! <laughs> I did not do very well about yeah, knowing. Anyway. And, and, and so it was interesting that, that you were able to look hard. at the GPA and the yep. credit. Did, did these kids take any a NAEP or a test that we can also uh, look at? If a they relationship? did, it, w- wasn't, it wasn't in this report. Interesting, the relationship between any academic achievement and any of these little long-term outcome yeah or sat score act score all right fascinating stuff look stuff i i love this uh in that you know these are the long-term outcomes that we care about right Mm -hmm. and that you could say if if i mean not all of them are necessarily fair measures of the k-12 system although you know a lot of them are Mm -hmm. and it'd be cool to be able to look at this over time as well and Mm -hmm. say you know are we getting any better at some of these things i mean right so a lot of data around the success sequence that you yes. care so much about i mean i think we see that there are some kids that are still 
you know, making those decisions and some yeah. kids who are taking different <laughs> paths. I mean, it's a very mixed portrait, right? I mean, you could kind of look through the data and I definitely saw some, I mean, this was good news on the graduation, yeah. the number of kids yeah. who were sort of entering post-secondary. I mean, the numbers of kids sort of making it out at the end are still not well, this as is high it. as we'd like. 87% of what 96% mm-hmm. are going on to post-secondary. Mm-hmm. And we know from multiple yeah. sources that, I mean, depending on how you measure it, you know what, maybe a third of kids are leaving high school college ready. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and so I just, I don't yeah, know. I just think more. there's a whole lot of kids going to college or post-secondary who are clearly not ready. And I don't know. I don't know if we're doing them a favor by encouraging them. Well, to and they're not try. going in the military, right? That. Only 6% had ever served in yeah. the military, which seemed yeah. like a pretty low number to me. Yeah, well, there's, I mean, it's the low percentage that are qualified to go into the military. Yeah, yeah you're days. right. They've really yeah. raised the requirements, haven't yeah. they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It'd be interesting too to follow them like an additional 10 years because there are indicators that are maybe being delayed or pushed back um, due to in part the recession and 9-11 and stuff um, mm-hmm. to see where this cohort, my cohort, is mm-hmm. in 10 years. Yeah. Right. We're rooting for you. Alyssa. <laughs> We're doing our best, Mike. You're still paying, <laughs> doing our best. Are you still paying off loans? I'm just curious. Yeah, no, I you am. Are. I had um, some from undergrad and then I also took out loans for graduate school. Yeah, so, so. more or less than 30000 Just curious. Mm, no comment. <laughs> uh, but I find, All right. yeah. Enough. That is a personal question there, Amber. <laughs> I was wow. just curious yeah. whether, I mean, I mean, mine was, well, I had graduate, I had mm-hmm. PhD yeah. thrown in there too. So, but mine was uh, around 40. Yeah. yeah. I mean, graduate is definitely well, the bulk of them. That, that's but I was lucky for yeah, undergrad. I mean, that, that is the, the research seems to me that the, it's, it's the graduate students who end up taking up the really big, big dollar amounts. But. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Amber. Super cool. Oh, descriptive. Oh. See, we don't need, we don't need gold standard <laughs> studies all the time. You know, some descriptive. <laughs> It goes a long way, too. That's right. All right. That is all the time we have for this week. Until next week. I'm Alyssa Schwenk. And I'm Mike Petrilli. Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.